A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. What a weekend. What a horrible day in news. Of course, we know about and you've heard about since early yesterday morning what happened in Orlando. But lest we forget, we lost a Canadian today. At least that's the best intelligence we have. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying earlier today that all the best reports that he has are that Robert Hall has been executed by Abu Sayyaf an Islamic terror group in the Philippines. Then in Orlando, of course, we've got a terrorist inspired by radical Islam who killed 49 people, wounded at least 53 others. 53 went to hospital. I'm sure there were others with injuries that didn't go to hospital. And all day today, you have been hearing here and elsewhere about how this is a a story about gays and lesbians, and it is, but it's about more than that. The main topic that it's about is about radical Islam. It's not, as Hillary Clinton would say, about gun control. That's what Hillary Clinton wants to make it about, gun control. If the FBI is watching you for suspected terrorist links, You shouldn't be able to just go buy a gun with no questions asked. So why was Omar Mateen able to buy a gun? Well, because he was never charged with anything. The FBI investigated him twice. They might have been able to watch him, but they didn't have anything to charge him with. I've got an interview coming up with Phil Gursky, security analyst. We'll get into a little bit of the difference between American law enforcement and Canadian law enforcement, how this might have played out differently in Canada, not just because of the gun control laws, but because of how our security services are set up. Now, I could I could fault the FBI for letting this man fall through their fingers twice, but we're still learning why they were even watching him, why they were investigating FBI Director James Comey, he says that the, the, the Orlando nightclub shooter was someone who backed a whole mess of radical Islamist organizations, some of them conflicting, as in he pledged allegiance to ISIS, but previously, you know, voiced support for groups that were opposed to ISIS, but still radical Islamist, you know, your general Salafist, Wahhabist nutjobs. So why, why did they look into his background? Well, Comey says that in May 2013, while he was working as a security guard in a courthouse, and do remember, Omar Mateen, and yes, I will say his name. I'm not going to go into that whole thing. Mateen was working at a courthouse. Remember, born in America to Afghan parents, American citizen through and through. So he's working at a courthouse and he made statements to his co-workers that got them a little bit worried. 
He said he hoped that law enforcement would raid his apartment and assault his wife and child so that he could martyr himself. That's worrisome. Is it enough to charge somebody? No, that wouldn't even get you charged here. Unless we all wonder, oh, how could the Americans let this happen? Does anyone recall where Momin Kawaja was working when he was arrested? Let me remind you, Momin Kawaja, that great son of Orleans, first Canadian charged and convicted under the anti-terrorism measures brought in after 9-11. He was working as a contractor for foreign affairs. That's right, working as a contractor for foreign affairs while building bombs, sorry, building detonators to help his jihadi brothers blow up nightclubs in Britain. So, could things have been done differently? You know, I'm sure they could have. I'm sure they could have. But Comey says that the FBI... He's not sure that they would have been able to do a whole lot more than what they did, which was look into him and see what he had to say. I don't see anything in reviewing our work that our agents should have done differently, but we'll look at it in an open and honest way and be transparent about it. So now the, the man that sold Mateen the guns legally in Florida, where they had to pass a background check, Despite claims to the contrary, you can't just walk into any gun shop at any time and buy a gun with no questions asked. You can do that in Canada at certain street corners, certain bars, certain neighborhoods, but you can't do that in much of the United States. Even gun-loving Florida, you can't do that. So now the owner of the gun store is being forced to answer questions, and he says, guess what? He passed a full background check. Ed Henson is the owner of the St. Lucie Shooting Center, and told reporters in a news conference that if he hadn't, if Mateen hadn't bought his guns from him, he would have just bought them somewhere else. There was nothing to say he shouldn't sell him those firearms. I'm truly, truly sad and shocked by this horrific terrorist act. Our heartfelt condolences and prayers are with the families and the victims. I want to turn to another topic that has been hot today. Donald Trump. Trump being denounced over what he said in a major speech today. Well, I'm going to play you large sections of that speech later on. But right now, let me go through a few clips. Is Donald Trump homophobic? Is Donald Trump being racist for what he's saying? I would argue no, but I'll let you make up your own mind. I'll let you hear what he has to say. Listen to this first clip and tell me you wouldn't like to hear any world leader make statements like this. I refuse to allow America to become a place where gay people, Christian people, Jewish people are targets of persecution and intimidation by radical Islamic preachers of hate and violence. In case you didn't hear... It was a man in Orlando on the weekend saying, well, gays should be killed. Hmm. Is that an American principle? Now, let, let me just be clear. CARE, a group that I have often 
raised questions about, a group I have often disagreed with, came forward with a bold statement saying that they stood with the people killed, with the families, the victims at the Pulse nightclub, that they stood with the LGBT community. That's not easy for them to say. But they did. And they denounced the killer. They denounced ISIS. They told ISIS off. So bravo to them. But while this is happening, on the weekend, and a mom headline was all over the websites. It was all over Drudge on the weekend. And a mom saying, yes, gays should be killed. In Orlando. That, my friends, is radical Islam, and that is what Donald Trump is standing up against. Radical Islam is anti-woman, anti-gay, and anti-American. I agree. How could I not? How could you not? And some of us who have been calling for action to be taken against ISIS in the Middle East have been pointing out, in addition to the genocide going on against Christians, against Yazidis, against Shia Muslims, that when ISIS takes control of an area, what do they do with all the gay men? They find the tallest building, they take them to the top of it, and they throw them off. I'm sure to Kathleen Wynne, I'm just another right-wing, gun-loving homophobe, even though I've been calling out for the defense of gays and lesbians in the Middle East is one of the reasons we should be fighting ISIS. Trump is in trouble again because he's saying he'll suspend immigration. He's not saying he's going to shut America down. Listen to what he actually says in this clip about immigration. When I'm elected, I will suspend immigration from areas of the world where there is a proven history of terrorism against the United States, Europe, or our allies until we fully understand how to end these threats. We have no choice. After full, impartial, and long, really long overdue security assessment, we will develop a responsible immigration policy that serves the interests and values of America. Isn't that what an immigration policy should do? The Pew Organization does surveys of people around the world It checks their values. It checks what they believe. Have you looked at what the the Pew Center, which is, in my view, in the view of many, including many liberals, it's a, a liberal organization. It's a fine organization that does a lot of studies, but guess what? It leans liberal. I've never discounted their findings based on that, but let's call a spade a spade. It leans liberal. And they've they surveyed throughout the Middle East into Afghanistan, into Pakistan. Do you know the values that the people in these countries put forward? We'll bring that up in a little bit. But I have to ask, why is Pakistan a major source country of immigration for Canada? And I've asked that for a long time. Do the views put forward by the overwhelming majority of people in Pakistan align with Canadian values? No. In Pakistan, you talk to people like my friend Tarek Fatah. Pakistani. He's been in Canada a long time. He lived in Saudi Arabia for a decade before he came here. 
and you listen to what he has to say about how Pakistan has changed. It has become more and more hardline. There are 10 countries in the world where being gay will result or can result in death. Why are any of those countries people, places that we would joyfully accept immigration from? We're all worried about selling light-armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia, but hey, come on in if you are from a country that believes in stoning people to death. Finally, Donald Trump is taking on Hillary Clinton on issues that nobody else will touch her on. She wants to take away Americans' guns and then admit the very people who want to slaughter us. Let them come into the country. We don't have guns. Let them come in. Let them have all the fun they want. I will be meeting with the NRA, which has given me their earliest endorsement in a presidential race, to discuss how to ensure Americans have the means to protect themselves in this age of terror. I will be always defending the Second Amendment. I'll have Faith Goldie on the program later to explain why this is not a gun control issue. This is about terrorism. This is about radical Islam. This is not about gun control. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I can't believe that I have to defend Donald Trump. I know some of you are probably sick of hearing me say this, but I'm not a fan of his. I'm probably going to be forced into being a fan of his because all the right people get annoyed by him. Or they misconstrue his words. All over CNN today. Just going nuts on him. CBC going nuts on him. Why? Other than they don't like him. Why is it wrong to say banning immigration from countries with a history of terrorism directed towards the United States or Europe? Um, okay. Sounds fine to me. Sign me up. There are other stories. We're going to be going in-depth in a couple of interviews on Orlando, on Robert Hall. We'll go into Trump's speech more. But I want to... Get a couple of headlines out of the way. The NDP says the liberals promised to legalize marijuana in the election, but they haven't acted on it yet. And it's going to be a long time before they do. And in the meantime, according to Murray Rankin, who says he's the NDP justice critic, he says he gets letters from parents saying, uh, 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 I thought this was supposed to be legal. The government was going to legalize it. Now my kid is charged. They're facing a criminal conviction that will lead them not being able to get into the United States or get jobs, even though it's about to be legalized. So Rankin and the NDP brought forward an opposition day motion today saying, let's decriminalize this stuff now and then move towards legalization. If it's going to be legalized already, why are you still convicting people? It creates a continuing injustice in this country, which is felt in different parts of the country in different ways. And we say on, the, on this side of the House that it's time to fix that problem now. I'm going to have to say I agree with them. You know, we know that our prime minister was a pot smoker. Not saying he is now, but was. 
and he promised he was going to legalize this. So why are Rankin told me that it would only take a directive from the attorney general to say, stop prosecuting. That's already happening in many places. I doubt there are many folks in Ottawa picked up for just having a couple of joints. All right, other story before I run out of time and Stephen loses his mind on me in the uh, in the room there. Yeah, you come on. Don't go over time. I may do. I may have a habit of doing that. But Kathleen Wynne, oh, she shook up her cabinet today. It's so exciting. Now we just have different lunatics running different things. Six new faces around the cabinet table. By the way, the provincial cabinet now bigger than the federal cabinet by one. 29 for Justin Trudeau's cabinet, 30 to run the province of Ontario. And Kathleen Wynne says, you know, there's just so many things to worry about while doing this. I'm excited about what these intelligent, committed, and hardworking people bring to the cabinet table. They bring experience, they bring continuity, they bring an infusion of new ideas and energy, and they bring diversity. They are a strong team, a team that I trust to implement our plan over the next two years. Blah, dee, blah, blah. Uh, Bob Shirelli, no longer energy minister. Instead, we get Glenn Tebow. That's great. And NDPer running the uh, energy system. Wonderful. Uh, crazy Glenn Murray, still the environment minister. And newcomers to cabinet, Eleanor McMahon in tourism and sport. Catherine McGarry in natural resources. Laura Albanese in citizenship and immigration. Chris Ballard in housing. Indira Naidu-Harris, associate minister of finance. Responsible for the Ontario Pension Plan. Kathleen Wynne still has not adequately answered on the issue of her campaign manager getting cushy contracts from her office. But don't worry, we'll keep pushing. I'm Brian Lilly. Only a minute over time. Stephen will deal with it. Back in moments. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. And so it begins. So it begins a shooting in Orlando and calls for more gun control in Canada. There's no correlation between a terrorist act carried out by Radical Islamist and gun owners in Canada. Do you get this, people? I know you do in the audience. I'm speaking to those media hacks in this country that will tell you we can't blame a whole religion for the actions of a radical Islamist. And we can't blame the whole. Don't blame the whole religion. A gun. Wow. Wow. Guns. Let's ban them. Let's take them away from law-abiding people. (sighs) When something like this happens, we are told we can't blame the whole religion, and that's true. But why, when a shooting happens, do you blame the law-abiding gun community? Why do you seek to punish them? Well, some guy shot up a bunch of people. Let's take away Bob's gun. Bob's never shot anybody, but occasionally goes to the range or hunts ducks. So let's take away Bob's gun so that crazy man or radical Islamist or whatever doesn't turn around and and shoot somebody. That 
pinnacle of great Canadian journalism, the Huffington Post, has a story out pointing out that Tory MP Bob Zimmer urged feds to reclassify rifle used in Orlando shootings. Hmm. Did he? Uh, what rifle was used in the Orlando shootings? Oh, right. It's called the AR-15, one of the most commonly held guns in all of America. More than 5 million Americans own an AR-15. I couldn't tell you how many are owned in Canada, but there's plenty. Why? Because it's not an assault rifle. It was actually designed as a hunting rifle. It was marketed in its early years as the Colt Sportsman. It was designed to go out and shoot deer. It's not an automatic weapon, not the ones we can get here. It's not even a selective fire. And most of you don't even know what selective fire is. That's where you can switch between automatic and semi. Pretty much only the military has those. Here in Canada or in the United States. A petition came forward when Parliament allowed electronic petitions, the e-petitions to start. A petition came forward and it was sponsored by Bob Zimmer because to get an e-petition, you have, a, have to have a person sponsor it. Now, full disclosure, I know Bob. We spoke at the same conference for the Canadian Shooting Sports Association a little while ago. Are we buds? Do we hang out? Do we go for coffee? Do we have lunch? Do we have dinner? Do our kids play? It? No, but I know him. I'm just going to be open about that. We were speaking at the same Canadian Shooting Sports Association conference a little while ago because I support the right to own guns in Canada. So some a, a group came forward and said, we want the AR-15 to be reclassified as non-restricted. And it should be. He said, sure. The most popular, I believe it was, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was the most popular petition. None of the ones that Murray Rankin from the NDP put forward were, but this was the most popular petition. So now they're trying to link Bob Zimmer to the Orlando shooting. I see a, a headline next to me here from ABC about how awful it is that Donald Trump is linking Obama in the Obama administration to the Orlando shooting. And I'm sure that Althea Raj over at the pinnacle of journalism known as the Huffington Post would agree with that, that that's just horrible. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't link Obama and the Obama administration in the shooting. No, even though the FBI and all, you know, for, yeah, but, 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 but Obama. Oh, look, conservative once said something good about the gun used in this shooting. Hmm. Hmm. Again, I go back. We can't blame an entire religion, but we can blame an entire industry. We can bl blame an entire community known as legal law-abiding gun owners. Somebody runs people over. We don't demand to ban cars. Give your head a shake. But this is not an issue about gun control. I know that the left wants to make it one, and you should have heard the reporters at the news conference today. So I played you a clip. I was at that news conference up on Parliament Hill. Murray Rankin came out. He wants to uh, decriminalize marijuana now. And he's out there to talk about decriminalizing marijuana. What do a bunch of the reporters want to talk to him about? Gun control. 
gun controls. There were a couple of promises made during the election campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, where are we at in terms of those promises? Are we going fast enough in terms of controlling the guns? You know, the, the existence, I think it, it's very obvious that gun control in the United States of America is a very different proposition than it is in Canada. I agreed with the work that um, Mr. Bloomberg, the former mayor of uh, New York City, brought forward to try to get some sanity around American gun laws. We aren't there. Obviously, this is not the same country, and some Sometimes we should be very grateful, but I just find the whole horror of what happened in Orlando, the largest domestic mass murder in the history of the United States, just so shocking. And my heart goes out particularly to the members of the LGBTQ community, because as you said, the, the flag was raised on our lawn. I was there. I was proud to be there. And to see that assault on that community just for living their lives is so shocking. I was just asking about Canada. Should we be uh, moving on quicker in terms of uh, restricting the laws that were C C42 <coughs> under the Conservatives? I'm not here today to talk about the uh, framework or the timing of gun control reform legislation in Canada. Today is a day to think carefully about what the United States is doing. I'm not about to pronounce on Canadian activity in light of a draw parallels between that and what's happened in the United States. And do you think they left it there? No. They kept going. They kept going. They kept pushing on questions. <sighs> want to play you a bit more of Donald Trump's speech earlier. These are extended clips. Can I play you the whole speech? No, we don't have time in this show to play you the whole speech. But Donald Trump came forward and his speech is being denounced by people that I don't think really listen to it. Or people that have a political agenda like ABC News. So let's play you a bit more. Right now, this is, this is Trump on what he would actually do with the borders. Radical Islam is coming to our shores. We're importing radical Islamic terrorism into the West through a failed immigration system and through an intelligence community held back by our president. Even our own FBI director has admitted that we cannot effectively check the backgrounds of people we're letting into America. All of the September 11th hijackers were issued visas. Large numbers of Somali refugees in Minnesota have tried to join ISIS. The Boston bombers came here through political asylum. The male shooter in San Bernardino again, whose name I will not mention, was the child of immigrants from Pakistan. And he brought his wife, the other terrorist, from Saudi Arabia through another one of our easily exploited visa programs. <laughs> Immigration from Afghanistan into the United States has increased nearly fivefold, fivefold, in just one year. According to Pew Research, 99% of the people in Afghanistan support oppressive Sharia law. We admit many more, and that's just the way it is. We admit many more from other countries in the region. And I'll tell you what, they share these oppressive views and values. We want to remain a free and open society. Then, and if we do, then we have to control our borders. We have to control, and we have to control them now, not later, right now. So that's Donald Trump on the borders. A couple of things there. He mentioned about James Comey saying we can't screen people. You know what Comey's talking about? He's talking about the Syrian 
refugees that Obama wants to bring in. Comey's been up front. We cannot screen these people. You know, the 25,000 that we let in real quick, so quick that we couldn't even house them properly, cost us a whole lot more. There's other problems with that. The Pew Research Center study that he mentioned. Yeah, that's the one that I was talking about. They went around the world. They asked what you think of things like Sharia. Do you think Sharia should be enforced? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think of non-believers? The answers would shock you. But do you hear this from most of the media? No. You have Donald Trump raise it and then he's denounced. He talks about closing the border with countries that have a history of, of terrorism or extremism. Pakistan remains one of our top source countries. It dipped down for a little while, but right now, the most recent numbers that I've got are for 2013. That doesn't seem right. I should have more recent numbers, but the ones in front of me right now are for 2013. It is our number four country for immigration, followed by Iran. Iran, by the way, on the list of countries where you can be killed if you are gay. On Iran, in accordance with Sharia law, homosexual intercourse between men can be punished by death and men can be flogged for lesser acts such as kissing. Women may be flogged. What other countries will lead to you being killed for being gay? Well, Yemen, Iraq, Mauritania, Nigeria, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, and Sudan. Only one of those is not Muslim majority. That's Nigeria. But Nigeria is damn close. Maybe you've heard of Boko Haram. Nigeria is a country that is split between Christians and Muslims. And in many states, the Muslims are in control. And they push this through. And yet Kathleen Wynne is on these airwaves talking about, well, why we allowed, let's talk about the Christian fundamentalists. Show me the Christian fundamentalist state that will put you to death for being a lesbian politician, Miss Wynn. Please do. I'd really like to know. You are such a moral relativist. An act like this happens, carried out by someone pledging allegiance to ISIS. You can't even say radical Islam, but you will attack the Christians, won't you? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, and I'm just getting started. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Can't be all politics, can't be all about what happened, because in the midst of the carnage life goes on for many of us if we just focused on this i think we would lose our minds so last night pittsburgh won the stanley cup big news we know that but did you know what else happened brooke anderson smith falls girl winning the lgpa championship that's what i said lpga what did i say Stephen's getting on my back here. Anyway, I'm going to run out of time. Get off my back. She won the LPGA championship. 
playing against another top golfer. What was fascinating was in the t- in the leaderboard, there was uh, Brooke Henderson, a woman from uh, Thailand, and then everybody else, including Lydia Ko from New Zealand. She was born in South Korea. Everybody else in the leaderboard are Koreans. I don't know what it is about Korean women in golf. But yesterday, Brooke Henderson from Smith Falls, well, she made history. What does what does this mean for Canadian golf? Oh, I think it's really a great shot in the arm, especially for girls golf. You know, we're I've got my junior golf initiative, Rob, and we're having pretty good success getting, you know, boys playing golf. But uh, there's a lot of little girls. It's hard to get them engaged and, and get them into the game. So this is going to be really big. And it's going to be from B.C. all the way through Nova Scotia. You know, it, it, it's going to have a very profound effect. This girl has every single element that a company like IMG or marketers or advertisers would like, right? She's so personable. She's so sweet. She looks like uh, the girl next door. She's athletic. I mean, she's got everything going for her. So it's going to be a, a, a huge effect on Canadian golf. Yeah. And as I understand it, you correct me if I'm wrong, she's the sec- only the second woman, uh, Canadian woman to win a major. Is that right? Yeah. My pal Sandra Post from Toronto actually won the PGA Championship as a 19-year-old. Okay. Uh, back in, I think, oh boy, I want to say 71, but I'm not sure if that's right. So it's a really special moment. It's also at a time where we really don't have a lot of other Canadians, right? Mike Weir is kind of long in the tooth and injured and not playing well. And Graham Dillette just stepped away from the stage internationally. So we've got a couple of guys doing it, but, you know, this is a certifiable superstar here. I, you know, I really believe yesterday we were watching the first kind of, uh, one-on-one match, if you will, between Lydia Ko and Brooke that we'll see over the next 20 years. These these two are both very special. And Brooke's got every tool. Like, there's nothing, as a golf instructor, I would tell you, looking at her swing and the way she hits the ball and the sound of the ball coming off her club and the nerves. She, she's not lacking anything. She's going to be there for a long, long time. Yeah. So when the play-by-play announcer said the what could be the first of many, you you would buy into that, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Don't forget her first win was by eight shots, right? She, she's kind of looking like the Rory McIlroy right now of the female game. I mean, think of how many golfers have won by eight. And actually, she's defending this week. It was really funny. Chris Stevenson, our pal from TSN 1200, he's out there. He was out in Seattle at Sahali with her, and he said that the, the girl stopped at a, a Mexican restaurant chain, probably at Chipotle or something, and then they drove to Portland so she could defend. So her, her grand celebration of making history was, you know, a burrito and probably a Sprite because she can't drink for three years in the U.S. and then off to the next event. Right. Yeah. I mean, full marks. She shot uh, 65. Her up and down sh- and her short game were tremendous. She had a hole-in-one earlier in the week. I mean... This was not somebody triple bogeyed to give it to her. She went out and got it, right? You've got that right. And and the one really interesting thing is actually Lydia Ko is another phenom and probably emotionally and from a maturity standpoint, even farther ahead than Brooke right now. And she, you know, she's the same age, but uh, Lydia was shaking a little bit. I mean, if you watch that golf last night, she missed a pretty easy putt on 17 and her birdie putt on 18 was, was weak. I mean, it was a foot short and left and, so she was feeling it. I've never seen Lydia Ko uh, do that. But I, I think they all respect Brooke's talent, and Brooke was not backing off. She was, I thought Dan Hicks early in the NBC coverage said, you know, that Lydia's probably going to 
end up winning it. And Liddy was a bogey-free 67, but those of us who know Brooke well and have followed her, you know, from the little junior challenge tour here in Ottawa, all the way through Golf Canada and everything she's done, we know that girl does not go away, right? She doesn't give up. Do you think there's something at that level, some something psychological too, that once you win one major, you can win more than one, you can win a bunch of them, Kevin? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Confidence yeah. is everything in any sport. Okay. And certainly a sport like golf or you know, you're kicking a field goal, these kind of static sports where all the pressure's on you in a moment, you know, those those are all based on self confidence and self awareness, right? And and she now believes and knows she can do it. So once you know you can do it, you know, there's the Sergio Garcias out there and the Lee Westwoods who, you know, have never won a major the best ever to never win a major. There's Dustin Johnson at last year's U.S. Open who three-putted from 12 feet to not win. You know, those are scars that people get. And when you can put a giant title like that in your column as an 18-year-old, how do you not believe in yourself for the rest of your career? Yeah. Well, I know what you're talking about this weekend. I know the U.S. <laughs> Open is this week. Gee whiz, we got That's Oakmont right. yeah. and, and the yeah. church views, and we're talking about this. But the other thing I, I, I'd like to say a little bit is I think Brittany is really important in that team, right? We had them out to our Kevin Haim uh, Kids to the Course Classic at Eagle Creek last month, and they are really good together. And Brittany went to four years of university and has played some professional golf. So, you know, Brooke's an 18-year-old, honestly a kid out there. And I think having your sister on the golf bag cannot be understated. That's a huge partnership. As Kevin Hames speaking with Rob Snow. Coming up soon, Faith Goldie on why guns are not the issue. Phil Gursky on security. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Who says the rebel don't travel? When news breaks, we fix it over at Rebel Media. Faith Goldie, uh, Faith, let's be honest, you were in Florida already because you were sunning your buns, uh, but you've made your way over to Orlando, correct? That's that's correct. News happened, and so I traveled a little bit northward, and uh, I spent all day outside of the scene at uh, Pulse Nightclub. So let let me ask you about this, because you and I are uh, both supportive of firearms owners, whether it's here in Canada or in the United States. The call started immediately for mm-hmm. gun control. At one point, the number two hashtag on Twitter in the United States was gun control now. It was second only to Orlando. In Canada, they're now saying, well, look at what happened there. And, oh, look, Bob Zimmer wants to uh, declassify the uh, AR-15. Shouldn't we have more gun, gun control? Tell me why this is not an issue about gun control. What happened at Pulse Nightclub? Uh, because uh, Pulse Nightclub, like every other bar in Florida, is the most gun-controlled environment one can find him or herself in, which is to say what? It is a gun-free zone, like all other bars in Florida, which means that there is the maximum amount of restrictions placed on an individual from a legal standpoint when it comes to their possession of guns within those parameters. Can't say when you're getting a pile of people intoxicated at a dance club that saying, don't bring a gun in, I can't say that's a bad idea. No, me, me either. I, I totally understand. I think it's commonsensical uh, approach. But all this to say what? Um, Omar Mateen brought the gun into a gun-free zone. 
That was an illegal thing to do. He p- proceeded to kill 50 individuals. That was an illegal thing to do. So you got to be a special kind of stupid with respect to those people who are arguing from this side of the fence to think that more laws is somehow going to change what these laws were unable to establish. Um, it, 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 what, what all of this is, Brian, you know what's sad about it is the fact that we have been talking about it for however many minutes we already have been, because the truth of the matter is it was an Islamist terrorist attack on a gay nightclub. This has nothing to do with gun control and has everything to do with a, cl- a clash of civilizations that is now happening at our doorstep in North America because we have imported a certain sort of toxic ideolo- uh, ideology that is fundamentally incongruent with Western freedom and liberty, including the freedom and liberty to live out a, a open homosexual lifestyle. Uh, and there are certain people, there are a lot of good and loving Muslims, but there are also a lot of them that do not like gays, that do not like uncovered women, do not like Jews. And we're not having that conversation because we are so darn hung up on talking about guns. This has nothing to do with guns and everything to do with Islamism in America. Or talking about how this is just an attack on on gays and lesbians and, and trying to forget about the Islamic terrorist side. I mean, look, there's a reason he picked on a gay nightclub, but he apparently also scoped out Disney World. This guy just wanted right. to take on the Western world. He was okay. radicalized. He His... Mosque in St. Lucie, Florida, was under mm-hmm. investigation by the FBI, according to documents uh, that have been uh, surfaced now. Hillary Clinton's State Department may have stepped in to stop that. Um, this guy was questioned by the FBI, but they, they didn't have enough to charge him on it. So, oh, oh, do, you know, do you know? Do you know? Do you know that he was actually he w- he was investigated twice by the FBI, Brian. And the second time, do you know why the FBI closed his file? Because they deemed that the reason why he was making terrorist threats at his workplace was because he felt quote marginalized as a Muslim. So for them, Islamophobia was the problem. And I, I'm doing air quotes over here in Orlando. Islamophobia was the problem, not the actual terrorist threat. Um, it, it, well, I will say this: there is there mad- is there is a free speech protection in the United States, as there is in Canada. And in, unless he actually had done something concrete, if he's just talking, I'm sorry, you can't arrest him. That's fair enough. And, uh, and I'll get into case- that with Phil Gursky later, uh, former CSIS operative, on the difference between how CSIS would deal with this and how the the FBI would. But well, th- there we, are much do, more. Are you are you aware of the uh, the Pink Pistols group? In the United States, oh, which is yeah, okay. Phil, so we got we got about two minutes left. Two minutes mm-hmm. left. Fill us in on the pink pistols and what they're saying on this. Uh, basically, they're saying that the government and the PC media and politicians are not here to protect us. So what we want to do, they're a group of gay uh, men and women, and they say you got to start packing heat yourself. Learn how to use a firearm, get whatever sort of carry permits are available within your particular jurisdiction, and they do vary based on state-by-state uh, legislation. And, and they're saying, you know what, this was an attack on our way of life and our freedoms and liberties, and, and no one else wants to talk about it. Well, hell, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to take action ourselves, and that doesn't mean going out and being violent in the streets with guns. No, it just means uh, exercising your right to self-defense, which is perfectly enshrined in the glorious United States of America. Right, Faith, we got about a minute left. I know you're down in Florida, but Robert Hall, Canadian, killed uh, today. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reiterate, reiterating again that Canada does not, will not pay ransom. I, I agree with him on that and, and back him 100%. Where I I guess part ways is he says we'll do what we have to 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 bring people to justice short of sending in JTF2 to raise the the jungle and find the perpetrators. I'm not sure what we can do. 
Uh, yeah, we basically we, we won't admit the fact that uh, the West and Western uh, uh, countries are at war with Islam right now. We pulled our guys out of the ISIS fight, and and this is just a different you know packaging on the same pig. Um, Abu Sayyaf has pledged allegiance to ISIS just as Omar Mateen did. Precisely. And but I have to do give him a big props for not negotiating with terrorists. He to break it to you, but it's better than what our former prime minister, Stephen Harper, had to say on the issue. So for that, props, prime minister. All right. Faith Goldie from Orlando tonight. And if you want to follow what's happening in Orlando, get a different point of view. Make sure you're following Faith on social media. Check her out at the rebel.media as well. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We've been focusing on Orlando because people are making stupid comments about what happened in Orlando. And unfortunately, debate began almost right away on this issue about what to do. What does it mean? What to do? Blah, blah, blah. And we'll get into more of that including with our next guest, Phil Gursky. But we'll also talk to Phil about Robert Hall. Robert Hall killed by Abu Sayyaf, an Islamist terrorist group who have pledged allegiance to ISIS. They want a separate Muslim homeland that's broken away from the Philippines. And they run on terror and they run on ransom. Phil Gursky is a former CSIS analyst, former CSIS operative, He now runs Borealis Risk Assessment. And earlier today, I was able to catch him by phone before he headed off to another conference to share his thoughts on the world of terrorism. Bring you his book name at the end because you're going to want to read it. But here's my chat with Phil Gursky on both Robert Hall and, at the beginning, what happened in Orlando. What we're looking at in uh, Orlando very much a terrorism act as far as you're concerned? Oh, absolutely. We, we have a guy who, according to the FBI, certainly had, shall we say, proclivities or sympathy for the Islamic State. He certainly expressed support for some of the actions of the Islamic State. So that, in, in, for me, indicates somebody who may not be a member, may not have a card with the Islamic State, but he's simply a sympathetic to Islamic State ideology. Now, early reports had the father of the... Uh the terrorists, saying, no, this has nothing to do with religion. We've since found out that, according to multiple sources, the FBI even acknowledging this, he was on their watch list twice, but they couldn't they couldn't make a case against them. Also, it's come out in, in various reports that the mosque that he was attending was under investigation by security officials. That was shut down by State Department. So there are little... Uh, warning bells that seem to have gone off. I'm not saying they missed them all. Maybe maybe they didn't know he was going to flip. But th- this is definitely uh, fitting a profile. Well, yeah. I mean, not that there is a profile per se, but you, you talk about warning bells. I mean, these, these are clanging as far as I'm concerned. Someone who um, expresses that kind of support for what's happening. You know, and I, and I don't want to criticize my American law enforcement colleagues, but had that guy you know, been on CSIS's radar... <laughs> I don't think we would have dropped the investigation as soon. Now, there's two things there. Uh, first is the American absolute fervor for First Amendment freedom. So if he's just saying stuff, not doing stuff, you can't charge him. Secondly is that the Americans don't actually have a security intelligence service. They have a hybrid, which is the FBI. So half intelligence, half law enforcement. 
you know, for law enforcement, the ultimate goal is to, is to, is to make arrests, get the caller, as they say it. In Canada, uh, CSIS can investigate you as long as they need to without any need to worry about arrests or evidence. That's the nature of, of security intelligence. So, again, I'm not trying to, you know, say my, that the Americans are, are incompetent, but they, they look at things differently down there than we do up here. Well, in, in CSIS, as you say, it's just about following someone. He, he could be under surveillance for a long time, but even in that case, I mean, they might have eventually just said, look, uh, there's nothing happening here. Let's let's move along. Uh, we we just simply don't know when someone's going to snap on an issue like this. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, and you're always making that triage. So you've got so many people that are of interest to you. You've got finite resources. Something big happens, and you've got to divert resources to another investigation. So clearly, you are making decisions all the time. And you hope, you know, when you go to bed at night, you hope that you make the right decision because an error can be tragic. Again, you know, this guy was known. There certainly wasn't a... A bolt from the blue, he's a known quantity to a certain extent. Again, not blaming them for dropping the investigation because those decisions have to be made. But the signs were there, and, and, and they're usually there. And, that, and that's, what, that's what bothers me is that people say, oh, never saw it coming. Actually, you did. You either were ignorant, which is okay, or you turned a blind eye. But you know, researchers have shown that most of these guys exhibit what's called leakage, which is exactly what it sounds like. You leak out your intent. So what do we do with that? According to the Wall Street Journal now, that um, uh, the shooter, uh, Omar Mateen, visited Saudi Arabia a number of times. Um, I guess, you know, perhaps this is part of his radicalization, perhaps not. But more frightening, uh, when you think of how packed it is, as he was looking for targets, he also visited Walt Disney World in Orlando. So he ultimately chose to attack a, a gay nightclub uh, on Saturday night, Sunday morning, but he could have very well have done the same trying to walk into uh, Walt Disney World, which even if you can't get through the front gates, uh, just the parking lot, there's yeah. far more people involved in that area than there would have been at, I th- believe, 300 people were at Pulse. Right. And, you know, and we, we'll never know his motivation, right? Why did he decide not to attack Walt Disney World? Was, was, there, was there a homophobia there that simply, you know, seized him and said, I want to I kill gays, I want to kill lesbians? We, we won't know because he's dead, but the fact that he may have, you know, scoped out a couple of venues is extremely worrisome because you're faced with not only can you not follow everybody, you can't you can't lock down every site. I mean, how are you gonna lock down Walt Disney World? How are you gonna lock down a sports arena? How are you gonna you know what I mean? You can't you can't have ultimate security everywhere, or else the life the, the world we live in would be completely different. What I'm finding interesting is some of the discussions going on around this, and uh, I'm watching this. It, to me, this is it, it's a multifaceted story. Uh, it is about Islamic terrorism. It is about an attack on gays and lesbians. Uh, it is, but it's also just being turned into a story about gun control or that this is just about an attack on gays and lesbians. And I think far too many people, far too many commentators are leaving out the Islamic terrorism angle. This is a guy who was radicalized and and carried out his attack in his own words due to his view of his religion. Right. Well, and there's no question, it really is all of the above. And we don't do anybody any favors by trying to pick apart one and leaving out others. So I read recently, apparently in his phone call, then I went one call, he talked about this is retribution for American action abroad. Well, that's classic Islamist extremism. You're bombing us, we're going to bomb you, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's what uh, Zahav Bibo said uh, in his video manifesto just before the attack in Ottawa. Well, exactly. It's, it's kind of a throwaway line. Uh, I'm not saying it's not important because if these guys it is. But it, it'd be odd not to expect that. 
The homophobic aspect, look, at Islamic State throws gays off building. They make it quite clear they don't like it. And there's, there's an abomination on Islam, abomination in the eyes of God. So it's, it's all of that. And we, and we can't say, well, it's not, this is not bad. It's, it's multiple overlaying sort of motivations simultaneously, I think. The link between the attack in Orlando and the death of Robert Hall is this Islamic extremism, though. We're talking about Abu Sayyaf, who their fight is for a, a Muslim homeland, a breakaway from the Philippines, and, and they fund their uh, activities based on, uh, on kidnap and ransom. Well, it, 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 go ahead, sorry. That's right. Exactly. So, I mean, the, the, the common denominator is that they are both being Mr. Mateen, wasn't part of a group that we know, but he was an Islamist extremist from what I can gather. Abu Sayyaf, as you said, is an Islamist extremist group. But that's the common denominator. And you're right, Abu Sayyaf is killing people, and it, it, it takes part in attacks and raids and kidnappings because their ultimate goal is to essentially carve out an independent Islamic state in the southern Philippines. Now, as far as uh, Abu Sayyaf and their, their goal of ransom, uh, I, I think uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is uh, taking the right stance and saying we're not going to pay for ransom. Has that always been Canada's position as far as you know? To the best of my knowledge, yes, and I certainly would uh, defer to people that, you know, with other um, other administrations and foreign affairs, for example, but my understanding is the answer is yes. But, you know, and I certainly support that, but, you know, this is tough. I mean, you know, if, you're, if your wife or if your daughter or if your father was kidnapped and the only way to get them out was to pay, would you be dogmatic and say under no circumstances? I mean, I'm not supporting the, the paying of ransom, but we're talking about human beings here. Uh, I, and, and absolutely, and I get that. But, uh, you know, it, the prime minister in his statement today on Robert Hall said, if we start paying ransom, it makes all of three million Canadians abroad targets. And, well, it does. And, it does. and, 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 and so it's... You know, the, uh, the the goal of looking after more rather than the individual. No, you're absolutely right. And we know, um, I mean, research has shown quite quite clearly that the ransom monies where they are paid does is used to finance terrorism. We've seen that in North Africa. We've seen it elsewhere in the world. So, you know, I have no problem supporting dogmatically the, the, that we will not pay ransom under any circumstances. So that's the right position to take. How do you feel for the families at the same time? So it's, it's you got to do what you got to do. But boy, that's got to be tough. Yeah, it's um. What what do we know about Abu Sayyaf other than they want uh, a breakaway Islamic state? Well, you know, they've been around a long time. The the founder actually fought in Afghanistan. Is believed to have actually started the group in the Philippines upon his return from Afghanistan uh, with seed money from Osama bin Laden. So they clearly have a, a long pedigree. There are a lot of groups in the Philippines. In fact, Abu Sayyaf has kind of um, taken a backseat. A bit there's a there's a you know there's the moral Islamic Liberation Front the Moral National Liberation Front there's a whole plethora of groups which are actually groups I talk about in my third book I'm writing right now um, so they're not the only kid on the block but they're the ones that we associate most with the taking of hostages. All right, Phil, tell us about uh, speaking of course with uh, with Phil Gursky from Borealis Risk Assessment. Uh, Phil, give us a plug for your new book. It's coming out this fall. It's on Western yeah, so, fighters. Yeah, it's on foreign fighters of the Islamic State, and I take a, a, a bit of a unique approach in that. I started to try to compare the motivations for why people volunteer for armies in general. Not that I'm equating terrorists with armies. I'm looking for individual motivation. Why do they sign up? And I look to see the, the commonalities and differences. And then most importantly, I look at, okay, what is the threat from these guys? Um, and more importantly, what can we do about it? What do we do about it before they go, uh, when they go, when they come back? So it's basically it's a soup to nuts version of, of foreigners who fight for Islamic State.
All right, Phil, thanks for the time. Thanks, Brian. Phil Gerthke, Borealis uh, Risk Assessment. I'm sure we'll be speaking to him again. Coming up later on in the program, we'll speak to Billy Flynn. He's the test pilot, the test pilot for the fighter jet, the F-35. We'll talk to him. We'll also bring you more of Donald Trump's speech and some thoughts from Justin Trudeau on paying ransom, why we shouldn't do it. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So, what happened on the weekend was an attack by a jihadist on a gay nightclub. And unfortunately, the debate we're having is, are we as a society open and accepting enough of gays? The debate that we are having is, do we need more gun control? It's not, what about, what about this radical Islam? This is not me saying all Muslims are responsible for this any more than I'm going to say all gun owners are responsible for this. But the mosque that Omar Mateen attended in St. Lucie, Florida, was apparently under investigation. An investigation shut down, according to some reports, by, after pressure from Hillary Clinton while she was at the State Department. Shouldn't that be worrisome? Look, Saudi Arabia, spend, which does not allow a single Christian church to be built on their holy soil, spends billions of dollars helping build mosques, Islamic centers around the world. You speak to Muslim leaders in this country, at least some of them, that are willing to be honest about what that money comes with, and they'll tell you it comes with strings. It is about exporting the Wahhabist, Salafist strain of Islam that leads to, well, the problems that we see literally around the world, including this weekend in Orlando, because they export an ideology. And so you can shut the borders if you want, but unless you're shutting the borders to the Saudi money, which is hard to do, you're still going to have problems. But let's talk about Donald Trump and how evil he is. Let's not talk about Salafists, Wahhabists. Let's not talk about the ideology that leads somebody to say, let's walk into a gay nightclub and shoot it all up. Oh, wait, it's probably the Christian fundamentalist. Right, Kathleen Wynne? Did I hear that right? And let's ban guns. Bob shouldn't have a gun because Omar killed people. I don't follow this logic because there is none. But Donald Trump, Donald Trump is being attacked for talking about shutting down the borders. What's Hillary Clinton doing? She's talking about taking away the rights of law-abiding gun owners to own their firearms 
but she's going to get a pass on that. Why? Because most of the media believe in complete and total gun control. Most of them have never fired a gun in their life, or if they have, it's been once or twice, and I wasn't too crazy about it. You know, like, I don't mind it. It's okay if you want to do it. You know, look, I don't care if you want to shoot guns. Just don't do it in front of me. Hmm. Donald Trump was calling out Hillary Clinton on all of this today. Let's give another listen. She supports so much of what is wrong and what is wrong with this country and what's going wrong with our country and our borders. She has no clue, in my opinion, what radical Islam is, and she won't speak honestly about it if she does, in fact, know. She's in total denial, and her continuing reluctance to ever name the enemy broadcasts weakness across the entire world. True weakness. Just a few weeks before San Bernardino, the slaughter, that's all it was, a slaughter, Hillary Clinton explained her refusal to say the words radical Islam. Here is what she said, exact quote. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. That is Hillary Clinton. So she says the solution is to ban guns. They tried that in France, which has among the toughest gun laws anywhere in the world, and 130 people were brutally murdered by Islamic terrorists in cold blood. Her plan is to disarm law-abiding Americans, abolishing the Second Amendment, and leaving only the bad guys and terrorists with guns. And he's right. It's not easy for me to say that, but he's right. Head to toe, in what he just said, he's right. But don't worry, Donald Trump is the bad guy. Donald Trump is the problem. Not Omar Mateen, not Saudis exporting their Wahhabist ideology around the world, including to Canada, including to mosques here in Ottawa including the mosques across the country, across the continent, around the world. Donald Trump's the real problem. You hear what Donald Trump said? No. While we're focusing on what happened in Orlando, I keep having to remind myself that we cannot forget about Robert Hall. Canadian killed by Abu Sayyaf. Yes, another radical... Islamic terrorist group. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau coming out today after several news reports saying that this had happened. I want to bring you part of his comments now. And I agree with him. We cannot be paying ransom where it makes all of us targets. It is with deep sadness and anger that I can report that we have reason to believe that a Canadian citizen, Robert Hall, held hostage in the Philippines since September 21, 2015, has been killed by his captors. I spoke with President Aquino this morning, and he expressed his profound condolences and regret to all Canadians. The Hall family has shown great strength of character in their resilience and are admirable in the face of this terrible situation. This is a grievous loss for them, and their country mourns with them. 
We continue to work closely with authorities in the Philippines to formally confirm Mr. Hall's death. We have every reason to believe that the reports are unfortunately true. The appalling attack on the LGBTQ2 community this weekend in Orlando and this news today serve as devastating reminders for all of us the vicious acts of hatred and violence cannot be tolerated in any form. Today, we have lowered the flag on the Peace Tower in solidarity with our friends and family in Orlando. It is with great sadness that the flag flies lowered for yet another sad event as well. Canada holds the terrorist group who took Mr. Hall hostage fully responsible for this cold-blooded and senseless murder. When I was at the G7 summit just recently, Canada and our G7 partners reiterated that terrorist hostage takings only fuel more violence and instability. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the killing of Robert Hall. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, we're going to take a bit of a detour to another topic that, were it not for the weekend, would be not dominating headlines today. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We're going to take a short divergence from terrorism. A short divergence from Islamic extremism, radical Islam and the fight against the West to talk about, well, some of the weapons of war that we should be buying. Billy Flynn is a retired Canadian uh, Air Force fighter pilot who is now the test pilot for Lockheed Martin on the F-35. So take this conversation with that in mind. Billy Flynn works for Lockheed Martin. I've interviewed him several times, though. This is a man who knows his planes. We sat down to talk about some of the knocks against the F-35 and the plane of record, the plane that we're supposed to be buying along with our allies, and false claims quite often, quite frankly, against what's happening, including from the prime minister last week who stood up in the House of Commons and said, yeah, that plane doesn't work. Billy, I hear your plane doesn't fly. Brian, I fly the F-35 nearly every day. It is better, more lethal, more effective than any fourth-generation fighter that flies today, period. You are someone that's flown the, the CF-18, obviously, when you're in the, the Air Force, correct? I first flew the CF-18 as the first baby pilot 33 years ago. I flew it through my career and finished up, as you know, as the commander of the Canadian forces that bombed Kosovo and Serbia in 1999. So start to finish, uh, Cradle to grave almost as an F-18 pilot. Great airplane in its day. Remember the beginning of the fourth generation of fighters? A plastic airplane powered by two Commodore 64s and did great work now for 35 years of service. So now step in the F-35, the beginning of the fifth generation of fighters. It's stealthy, has sensor fusion, and it would be, will be the same success story as the CF-18 has been in Canada. 
we heard, hear these terms a lot, uh, fourth generation, fifth generation. Some people are saying we don't need to go fifth generation. Let's, you've heard the stories. Let's just uh, step back and, and, and get a few super hornets as a, uh, an interim measure. Is that a step forward or step backward for military capabilities? You know, to put on your old RCAF hat. I think what's really important is to talk about the, what our job is as Air Force pilots, as a military today, and what it might be in the future. We've determined that what really matters to us is sovereignty protection. It's uh, 1.9 million square kilometers of territory in the Arctic, and we know that Ru- the Russian forces are taking uh, the Arctic seriously. Fifteen bases were upgraded or renovated by the Russian military in the Arctic Circle in 2015 alone. Um, to our uh, in the north for us, the United States Air Force is going to base 48 F-35s out of Fairbanks, Alaska. On the other side, the Danish Air Force just selected the F-35 to guard their sovereign territory of Greenland. The big gaping hole, the big backyard unprotected for us is the Arctic. And the only airplane that has the range, so the distance it could go, uh, the persistence, how long it could stay in the air, and then the sensors to see everything that we have to monitor on the ground, over the water, and in the air. In the Arctic, the only airplane is the F-35, period. I don't think a lot of people understand what's happening in the Arctic in terms of the race for being able to claim sovereignty, the race for resources underneath. That's why all these military moves are being made by other countries to be able to lay claim to those those resources. But what I keep hearing from critics of your your plane is, well, it can't fly in the Arctic, and we need a plane that can fly in the Arctic. Have you flown it long range in the Arctic with the single engine? Because this is single engines can't fly in the Arctic, I'm told. So three things. Let's talk about how far it goes. Let's talk about the cold, and let's talk about single engine. Every day I fly with Hornets, Navy Hornets, old Hornets, and Super Hornets with me. Every single time I fly, I go faster than them every single time. I stay in the air longer than them every single time. And I do that full of bombs and missiles. And it is regardless of what my chase airplanes have for configuration. So I go further. Uh, the Arctic, we tested the F-35 down to minus 40. I personally went in there and froze my butt off uh, testing the F-35 with the touchscreens and the cosmic helmet um, lit the afterburner in a climatic chamber, so a controlled temperature chamber in Florida to minus 40, and then ramped up the heat all the way to plus 55 degrees like, uh, like in the desert valley of uh, California. And we proved to ourselves that we can operate every part of it in the Arctic. And now let's talk single engine. So, but, but where do these claims come from then? I mean, you mentioned the Americans are looking at putting how many in? 48 in Fairbanks, Alaska. 48 in Fairbanks. The, the Danes are looking at putting them in Greenland. Obviously, they think they can fly there. Where do these claims come from? Is it just armchair fighter pilots? Is it competitors? Is it all of the above? Well, the facts say that the airplane has started to make believers from so many nations. The F-35 has not lost a competition that has entered. The Danish example, let's just go for a second. Let's come back to single engine. The Danish example was stark. For strategic value, that's the alliances, military capability, the price, and the industrial benefits, the F-35 won in all four categories against the Super Hornet and the Eurofighter Typhoon. That's stunning. 
It won on price and it won on military capability. And that is contrary to what some of the press that we've read in the past, and that's a great testimony on how well the F-35 has matured and how much the price has gone down as we promised. So let's talk single engine. The United States Air Force has flown single engine F-16s from Fairbanks, Alaska for 25 years and never had an engine failure. That's 25 years. 1991 is when they first moved in there. 25 years, no engine failures. 12 months of the year, not four months of the year like the Canadian military operates out of its forward operating bases in Inuvik or Iqaluit, but 12 months of the year in the deep freeze of Isleson Air Force Base in Fairbanks, Alaska. That, to me, is a stunning comparison and perfectly comparable to anything we would do out of Cold Lake or Bagotville with our F-18s or all the way north if we took them to the Arctic in Iqaluit or Inuvik or even Rankin Inlet. To me, it... Um the argument over single engine, as you say, 25 years they've been flying F-16s. The critics of F-35 would say single engine just doesn't work, period. But you know, 25 years of, of flying single engines, is it that people aren't up on the technology or they have their own mindset of what a plane needs? I mean, we're sitting in a room here with a plane over there that has four propellers. And, and I bet when people went to lower numbers of propellers, they thought, oh, no, you can't possibly do that. You and I believe in the reliability and robustness of, of engine technology, we go from Vancouver to Sydney, Australia on two-engine triple sevens and Boeing 787s now. We go across the Pacific. We go across the Atlantic on Air Canada. We fly from Toronto all the way to Vancouver uh, every single day on Air Canada with two engines. So we, you and I believe in it. We just haven't bought into the single-engine and in fighters, because we don't have any experience, it, ours goes back to the F-104. And it's a fear factor that plays against the F-35 when it is convenient. It's never because of the reliability or the technology, but it is because we, we compare it to the F-104 Starfighter, which first flew in 1954. And that is our comparison in Canada to a technology that's what? That's that 62 years old a second-generation fighter where the engine reliability, reliability wasn't great. Now we're at the fifth generation of fighters. We fly 60,000 hours in our F-35. I don't know what that means to a lot of people, but that's a whole lot of flying, proving that our engine is... 60,000 hours? 60,000 hours in our fleet. We fly... Well, uh, l- let me put that in a little bit of context. The average person's work year is about 2,000 hours a year or less. So you're talking 30 years of work. We fly two to three times more in the F-35 fleet than the entire CF-18 flies per month. We're, we eclipse the flying rate of the Canadian F-18s, and that helps us understand or gain confidence in the reliability of the single-engine power of the F-35. Look, the United States Navy and Marine Corps are going to land on 22 aircraft carriers, so 11 Marine Corps carriers, 11 Navy carriers like we saw in Top Gun, and when you go to in the middle of the ocean and you take off in your F-35, you are coming back to a postage, postage stamp. You, if that engine didn't work, you're not landing, you're not coming home. And the United States Navy and Marine Corps have all bought into the reliability of single-engine fighters in this day and age. It's not a converse, conversation anymore. Billy, I know that uh, you work for Lockheed Martin. You have for a while, but uh, so people will take it what you say with a grain of salt. But as a fighter pilot, what would you say to your your brothers in arms who are hearing this debate, wondering what plane they're going to be flying flying next? What would you say to the 
the political and military figures here in Canada as they try and determine what plane to buy next. I do know what we all care about, and that is the safety of the men and women that, go, that will go to war on behalf of our nation. I climbed the ladder uh, 15 years ago with a five-year-old at home and put my life on the line knowing, knowing I was going to get shot at over Kosovo and Serbia. Uh, all commanders believe that what's truly important is bringing the men and women at home, and I know that ultimately that's what uh, the leaders of the military want for the kit that they buy for the men and women. Don't forget, when we buy a, a plane, it's around for 40 years. So it's got to work right now, but it's also got to work two and three decades in the future. And you'd say F-35? Well, I, I'm lucky enough to fly it every day, and I know how good this fifth-generation jet is. And I know that because of I, I watched the confidence of the eight military services and the more than 300 pilots that have already flown the jet that are absolute converts to what fifth-generation technology brings. Thank you. Thanks for coming by, Brent. All right, my conversation with Billy Flynn. He works for Lockheed Martin. Take that for what it's worth. But he's also a veteran. You heard him. He helped bring in the CF-18s. He flew it until he was commanding the mission over Kosovo. He knows his fighter jets. You've heard the knocks against the F-35. Now you've heard the defense. We never hear the defense of the F-35 because the media is, for some reason, on this push to get rid of the military in Canada, something that I don't understand. I've researched this plane. I think it's the right one. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these debates that have been going on the last few days, the discussions that have been going on. If you don't want to call in, you can email me. It's beyond the news at cfra dot com. Beyond the news at cfra dot com. But if you want to email, or sorry, if you want to call in, it's five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility, or calling from out of town, it's one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. This has become an issue far detached from what it is. Is this an attack on gays and lesbians? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. But why were they targeted? They were targeted because Omar Mateen was a subscriber to a radical Islam. One that, was it preached at the mosque that he attended in St. Lucie, Florida? I don't know, but I do know that his mosque was being investigated. And then according to several reports out today... That investigation was shut down after pressure from Hillary Clinton and the State Department. Do know that he called in and pledged allegiance to ISIS in the middle of his brutal rampage. That ideology and the hatred for gays and lesbians goes hand in hand. Guess what? It also goes hand in hand with a hatred of all of Western civilization if you want to get more specific, let's, you know, he pledged allegiance to ISIS. What are they doing when they're not throwing gay men off the top of tall buildings uh, to their certain death? 
Well, they're trying to eliminate Christians, Yazidis, and Shia Muslims. But let's go with Kathleen Wynne and talk about fundamentalist Christians. You show me a single fundamentalist Christian that's doing something other than saying they don't want to bake a cake, Kathleen. Please, tell me. I'm dying to hear. Tell me. Well, she's not willing to come on my show, I'll tell you that much. 521-TALK, 521-8255. There's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump today for some reason, instead of dead bodies, instead of acts of terror. It's let's jump on Trump. Let's show that he is just a horrible human being. Stephen, do we have um, Trump saying he won't be intimidated? You tell me when that's ready. I refuse to allow America to become a place where gay people, Christian people, Jewish people are targets of persecution and intimidation by radical Islamic preachers of hate and violence. Once again, an imam in Orlando on the same weekend that the shooting at Pulse nightclub happened, the worst mass shooting in American history, 49 victims. I'm not going to count Omar Mateen. He's not a victim. He got what he deserved. 49 victims dead, 53 injured, sent to the hospital. On the same weekend as that's happening, an imam from a mosque in Orlando talking about how yeah, gays should be killed. It's for their own good, I'm sure. Hmm. Well, let's talk about how Donald Trump's bad. Stephen, play that clip again because you know, he's being described as a bigot and all sorts of things, but does this sound like a bigot to you? I refuse to allow America to become a place where gay people, Christian people, Jewish people are targets of persecution and intimidation by radical Islamic preachers of hate and violence. Radical Islamic preachers. I don't know. It sounds like he, sounds like he was talking about radical Islam to me. What is radical Islam? Well... Since people want to talk about Donald Trump, let's talk about Donald Trump's view of what radical Islam is. Radical Islam is anti-woman, anti-gay, and anti-American. Yep. Yep, I would say that's accurate. I would say that is completely accurate. So what's his solution? His horrible solution is to start to stop taking immigrants from areas that are hostile to America or America's point of view. When I'm elected, I will suspend immigration from areas of the world where there is a proven history of terrorism against the United States, Europe, or our allies, until we fully understand how to end these threats. We have no choice. After full, impartial, and long, really long overdue, security assessment. We will develop a responsible immigration policy that serves the interests and values of America. Sounds like a horrible person. Sounds like a horrible idea. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. As I said, I've long wondered why Pakistan has to be one of the consistently, consistently one of the top source countries for immigrants into Canada 
when this is a country that has become increasingly more radicalized. You talk to any Pakistani Canadian that has been here for 20, 30, 40 years, who has gone home to the country that they left, and you say, do you recognize that country? Does that look like the Pakistan you left? They'll tell you no. In fact, the Pakistan that I read about in the newspapers, the Pakistan that I see on television, the Pakistan that kills Shabazz Badi for speaking up for religious minority rights does not resemble the Pakistan that I know from my neighbors growing up. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. Peter in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, hi, Brian. I think it's important for people to, to realize a little bit of history that the, uh, the, the Saudis basically are blaming the Bush administration for the rise in radical extremism because the Bush administration invaded Iraq. Now, Bill Clinton, being Bill Clinton, um, decided to kill two birds with one stone, and that was to create a, a large uh, charity fund which would uh, collect a lot of money from the Saudis and from other Gulf countries. And the quid, the quid pro quo would be that they would, uh, you know, look after, look the other way uh, when these problems inevitably came to American shores. And I think that's exactly what's happened. I think that Bill Clinton, his, um, the CGI fund has definitely got to be investigated. And that's the only plausible reason I can, I can understand well, why know, Hillary Clinton is not speaking forcefully about this craziness. Have you heard Charles Ortel on this program or read his work online? I can't say I have. So Charles investigates the uh, Clinton Global Initiative. The, which is essentially the, the front for the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation. And, yeah. and he's looked into the foreign money coming in. So is Peter Schweitzer in his book, Clinton Cash. They have taken yeah. an awful lot of money from foreign governments that I think compromise Hillary Clinton's ability to be objective and to look out for American interests if exactly. she takes the White House. That includes exactly. money from Saudi princes. Right. And again, uh, the, the the Saudis were uh, they they were very much aware that this problem was going this problem of Wahhabi extremism was going to be bubbling around the world, and the Saudis were able to purchase insurance in the form of donations. Aware of it, they CGI. were spreading it. Right, and They're they were the able to spreading it. Right, and now and now the Obama administration a few days ago has basically uh, come out and and uh, uh, deep six the uh, the. Uh, Saudi responsibility and the and the uh, the money that they owe for the for the the uh, twin tower bombings because Hillary Clinton has been accepting money through Bill through that fund uh, as a form of insurance protection for Saudi assets because they were Bill Clinton is a very very devious character and he's been he's been taking all this money from Saudi Arabia as a form of insurance to protect them. Uh, to play off the the, the, the political system and, and to say, you know, look, the Republicans won't protect you the way we will. By the way, could you just shovel a few hundred million dollars into my CGI fund? My wife will take care of you. It's disturbing that we have to think that way, Peter, but uh, the facts do lead uh, the mind to wander in that direction. Thanks for the call. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility or beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly, back in moments.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So an Islamist walks into a bar, shoots 49 people dead, injures 53 others. The Premier of Ontario has asked about it, and she can't say Islamic fundamentalist, but she can call out those darn Christians, can't she? That, and that's what's so ridiculous, because... Um you know, what's his position on Christian fundamentalism? You know, what's his what's his position on other terrorism? I, I just think it is an incredibly dangerous position. Kathleen Wynne on with Evan Solomon earlier today, ranting about Christian fundamentalists, but could not say Islamic fundamentalists, could not say Islamic terrorism. I didn't hear those words from her. But she does want to bash Donald Trump. She does want to bash Christians. After an Islamist shoots up a gay bar. I guess we know what side she comes down on. I stand with gays and lesbians to live their lives as they please. Free from radical Islam. She stands against Christian fundamentalists, I suppose. Steve in Carlton Place, you're on Beyond the News. Uh, Hi, Brian. I'm a first-time caller. Um, I listened to Donald Trump's speech today. And he hit the nail on the head, plain blunt. You know, I I am not a person who's uh, I'm not biased towards Muslims or anybody. Muslims are okay. I know a few Muslims that are good people, but we have to look at what the problem is. The problem is extreme Muslims, Muslim extremists from the Middle East and those here. We have the radical preachers preaching. To these people saying, oh, gays, lesbians, uh, kill them. You know, they should be dead. And we do not look at the fact that our governments don't even look to see that these people are preaching. It's time that our governments have to wake up, show the people. Donald Trump, I, I call him Mr. Trump because I, I follow politics in states, and I think he mm-hmm. is great. You know, I, I wish we had somebody up here like that. You know, and he is a product of their making because the people down in the states are tired of all the BS that's been spread about them. You know, like not being standing up and not doing what's right and, oh, cowering to everybody and giving away everything. And he came out of the woodwork with this stuff, and it's like, I agree with him. He's 100%. He's the making of the people. So, so when he when, when he says um, let's stop immigration from areas of the world that are hostile to the United States, is that racist? No, it's not racist. What he wants to do is protect his people, make sure that the people that are coming in agree with the same fundamentals that they have. They don't want somebody coming in who's going to be radicalized. They want people coming in who agree. We want freedom. We want to live our lives as ourselves, and respect everybody else. All right. Thanks for the call, Steve. Thank you. Let's go to Joanne in Orleans. Joanne, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, Joanne. Uh, Let's put you on hold again. Try that again. Hello, Joanne. Hello? Hmm. Brian? 
Hello, Joanne. Hi, Brian. Am I on? Yes, you are. I'm sorry. I don't know what I did there. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad I caught your show. I really felt compelled to call when I heard you uh, mention Kathleen Wynne and uh, the fact that she characterized Christians, basically characterizing them as dangerous in that run-on sentence of hers, vague and alluding to things that, that really aren't even true. Uh, I, I know the rebel. I know you. We know there's a cultural battle going on. It's taking place in, in the battle of ideas of discussion. This is what uh, a Christian worldview does. Of course, 2,000 years ago, cultures were different, and there was a call to arms. And maybe, you know, 500 years ago and 200 years ago, there might have been a call to arms along um, uh, faith differences, you know? Mm -hmm. But what has developed and, and evolved is the ability to discuss, to disagree, challenge to force uh, different people to think differently and it's happening on both sides the idea that this battle of ideas is the equivalent of murder is so offensive to me but it should be offensive really to everybody we're talking about two completely different things yes we have our world view um, we are trying to convince and, and to uh, defend and explain and so on. I mean, I, I'm thinking this is a tragedy that happened. Who of us does not know someone who is gay? This is a horrible situation. It is the equivalent of the targeting of Yazidis. The fact that it's not happening on North American soil doesn't make those Yazidi lives any less important. But this, this whole obfuscation that's taking place is designed to silence us well, in this it, battle of ideas. It's designed to make it about anything but what it's really about at the core, and that's radical Islam. Well, I, I, I won't deny that it's also an attack on on uh, on gays and lesbians. And if you want to say, let's have a debate on gun control, but those are not the main issues here, Joanne. This is about radical Islam at its core. And that is why people were targeted. Agreed. Agreed. Right. I also think that her ploy to equalize a Christian worldview with an Islamist worldview is to silence people who disagree on other issues. We would not disagree in this country that gays and lesbians and transgendered, et cetera, should, should be killed. We would, we would all agree that should not happen. Mm -hmm. That is not part of the conversation. But there are other things we can talk about. And by well, lumping people of faith into this group, her uh, strategy was to silence us and be able to refer to us later as hate mongers and homophobes, et cetera, et cetera. It's deeply offensive and completely inaccurate. All right. got to leave it there, Joanne, and got to run. But yeah, Kathleen Wynne's whole uh, modus operandi is attacking the people that disagree with her and calling them names. I could give you example after example. 521-TALK, 521-8255. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
So you've heard me and others refer to the Pew Research polls of various countries around the world. Let me just read to you some results from one question. And this was published by Pew Research back on November 17th, 2015. ISIS has been going for a couple of years at this point. It's a few weeks after the terrorist attacks in Paris and Beirut and Baghdad linked to ISIS. And so folks in various countries are asked, do you have a favorable, unfavorable opinion of the Islamic militant group in Iraq and Syria known as ISIS? In Lebanon, 100% said unfavorable. In Israel, 97% said unfavorable, 1% said favorable, 2% said don't know. In Jordan, 94% said unfavorable, 3% said favorable, 4% said don't know. But let's move further down the list. You get to Turkey, 73% say, yeah, I have an unfavorable, unfavorable view of them. Okay, but 8% say they have a favorable view, and 19% don't know. That may not sound like a lot, but that's starting to turn into some serious numbers here. 8%. Hmm, what's Turkey's population? Well, their 2016 census said 79 million people. 79 million. Let's see. Seven, nine, one, two, three, one, two, three, uh, times point zero eight. Yeah, just doing a little math on the calculator here. So that means just, uh, just 6.3 million people in Turkey have a favorable view of ISIS. In Pakistan, 28% have an unfavorable view. 28%. 9% have a favorable view, and 62% said, uh, I don't know. Shouldn't this be cause for concern? Pakistan, one of our major source countries for immigration, less than one-third say, I look at ISIS in an unfavorable light. Gloria, in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hello. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. There's something in there. Hi. Good evening, Brian, to you. Good Welcome evening. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, dear. Listen, you know what? Um, I'm just going to say this here. You know, I'm really tired of immigrants from the Middle East coming to Canada, which is, we all know, is an open, free, tolerant, peaceful, accepting society. Then when they get here, they turn around and they want to force their restrictive, intolerant, barbaric interpretation of their religion on us well, and, and want us to change for them. No, no. You came here of your own free will. If you do not like our openness and our freedom and our fair and just laws, you may leave at any time. There's nobody forced you to come here. Nobody is forcing you to stay here. 
we should not be changing our laws and ways of life for anybody. And the thing that bothers me very, very much is our politicians are only too happy to ignore our tolerant society and have this intolerant religion of the Middle East flourish here and attack our way of life. Well, in the name of intolerance, or in the name of tolerance, we have to accept certain types of intolerance and not others, apparently. But look, Laurie, in this instance uh, of of the shooting in Orlando, Mm -hmm. I mean, Robert Hall is different. He was in the Philippines. He was captured by an Islamist group and executed in the Philippines. But in, in the case of what happened in Orlando, it was a a man born and raised in the United States, born and raised in New York, uh, married for a while in New Jersey. He's been living in uh, in Florida, central Florida, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So, But it is the importation of the ideology is still happening through the Wahhabist mosques, the Saudi funding, and so on and so forth. Exactly. And the thing is, you know what, these people are nothing but terrorists. I don't care if they're homegrown or they're imported here uh, with our lax laws, but they are mass murderers who justify these massive killings by calling it a religious act. They're they're just uh, heinous, heinous people, Um, psychotic and and you name it. I mean, I'm, I'm just starting to, to find the right words. But to hide behind religion when it's there, and one group says, "Oh, uh, Islam is is such a tolerant uh, religion, fine and dandy for the ones who are peaceable." But there's there's so many interpretations of it, and 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 it, it's a, it's according to to the imam who who rules over a certain section. On, on how on how to to uh, uh, to um, how do you say worship? You know, I mean, it's like us having four and five and six and seven different rules for for our 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 Christian our Christian Judeo. Uh, oh, do you do you know how many do you know how many different Protestant groups there are, Gloria? Mm-hmm. More than twenty five thousand. Well, there's nothing wrong with it because they all they are peaceful and they just they, they let people the, the, be. We don't force our religion on 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 everybody. This with, much is true. It's 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 not it it is not being spread by the sword. This is true. Uh, I you know I just I look That's at this, my point. I look at this Pew study. Eleven percent in Malaysia. Eleven percent in Senegal. Fourteen percent in Nigeria. Eight percent in Turkey. Nine percent in Pakistan. These are the the numbers of groups of people that have a favorable view of ISIS, we are looking at tens of millions of people just with those countries alone. Oh, exactly. And the thing is, our laws here, uh, we are, they are separate, totally 100% separate from our religion. The, 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 from the Middle Eastern countries, religion is the law. It's total 100% re- reversal. All right. And, Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. Let's go to Jonathan in Ottawa. Jonathan, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, Jonathan. Is he there? Did I leave him on hold too long? All right, I'm going to put him back on hold, and uh, Stephen will see. All right. Jonathan, are you there? I'm there. Okay, there we go. <laughs> okay. I blame like Bill Carroll. I never had phone problem. I never had problems with these phone lines till Bill Carroll got here, and I don't think he knows how to work them. Well, uh, it, it's sounding good right now, anyway. But uh, but uh, those ignorant, foolish comments by by Kathleen Wynne, that that woman, 
needs a lesson in history and a lesson in current affairs. She should understand that all the gay bashing and the, and the uh, hatred of the uh, gay community and so on was ended by fundamentalist Christians in the last 50 years, that, that murders of gays, execution of gays that went on in, in Nazi Germany uh, under the communists and is still going on in every Islamic country around the world, this is stopped by fundamentalist Christians wherever okay. we take over. Does that stupid woman understand that? Help, help me understand, because I'm not sure I know this history. Yes, that's right. Well, it was it, as you, in the past two or three hundred years when, when Christianity finally took over the West and North America. We were the ones that brought in freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of action, freedom of association. And it was from those laws, from those Christian laws, based on the Bible, by the way, from those laws, Christians realized that even though we disagree with the homosexual lifestyle, even though we consider it an egregious sin against God, that we have no right to stop them from living their personal lives the way that they want to live, because ultimately, God is the one who makes the decision, and God will make the final judgment judgment on judgment day which i personally believe is coming up very quickly so, uh, you know, so let, let me just uh, let me ask you a question there jonathan yes let me ask you a question sure. because you know people will say well christians are against gays and lesbians and because they don't like uh you know them them having the the sexual lifestyle that they have or they don't yeah, like but the, we don't stop but, them but that's right well sure, hold on I hold on i haven't gotten to my question yet okay and my question is is are are Christian morals and Christian values on sexuality limited to homosexuality? Oh, of course not. Okay, so explain that. Is there sin for heterosexuals? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, the homosexuality and adultery and fornication are all considered evil by God. That's right. So uh, as a result, in a true Christian church, if any Christian engages in uh, immoral, uh, let's say, uh, 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 sexual behavior, such as having multiple wives, visiting prostitutes, or, or committing homosexual acts, this person is counseled. We, we try to help him to repent, and if he does not, this person is then asked to leave the Christian association. But we do not bash them, we do not physically assault them, and we do not execute them like they do in Muslim countries. So, you see, there is a big difference because we believe in freedom, and we believe that ultimately God will make the decision in the law courts of the, the new heavens and new earth, which, uh, as, as the Bible says, is soon to come on this planet. All right, Jonathan, thanks for the call. God bless. All right. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. you still got a few minutes to get on the air, or email me, beyondthenews at cfra.com. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Kathleen Wynn says we need to worry about radicals like Christian fundamentalists. David, in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. 
She's she's reached in Lulu. That woman just makes me sick. Yeah, she she did not say, and I have not heard her say anything about radical Islam. But she did jump out to say those Christian fundamentalists, that's what we have to worry about. Listen, it's just the same with uh, Clinton. You know, she was, let's not be jumping up and down on top of good, peace-loving Muslims. Well, I agree, okay, with, but, but, I agree with that. Yeah, and so do I. But apparently we, need, we do need to jump up and down on top of peaceful, gun. law-abiding gun owners. Yes, but she didn't realize Don't that blame this... the whole religion, but blame all the gun owners. Yeah, but the, the, the radical extremist the terrorist religious uh, jihadis... If they didn't have a gun, they'd find another way. I think the Shinari brothers in Boston proved that. You know, you get a pressure cooker, some chemicals in the back, and nails. Mm-hmm. You know, you said they didn't need a gun. No, no, they didn't. You know, we're, we're, they, and and how many people died in the Boston uh, Marathon bombing? I don't have the number. I, I, I well, there I'll weren't too many up. deaths, but there are a heck of a lot of injuries. I'm looking it up. It wasn't fifty, obviously. No, that that was the, the well. Yeah, that was, th- this that was, is the worst the mass record. shooting. Yeah, this, that's, that's the new record, the new standard. Okay, so three three people were killed, and injured two hundred and sixty-four people. Yeah, let's say not many dead, but a heck of a lot of injuries. Now we're like you said earlier, we're bringing all these people over here without adequate screening. If we're going to bring people over here, I agree with the. You know, bring these idiots and bring the the Coptic uh, Egyptians and and uh, all these other people who are persecuted, or better still, make it safe for them to live where in, in home where they want to live. And I've said to you before in this program, go over and bomb the living daylights out of them, make them just like the dust on the ground, take no prisoners. They run away shooting on the back. Somebody says if they if you do that, ten more rise up. Well, just take care of those ten the same way. Look, I, I will say this. For some reason, the chart that I have in front of me that I've been reading off of on the uh, the Pew survey, mm-hmm. those that live closest to ISIS, it does not include Syria. There is a uh, there is an actual survey where they did go into Syria and survey people. But the one I have in front of me does not include Syria. Those closest to what ISIS is doing in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Israel, they have the most negative views of this group. They don't want anything to do with them. And do you know what most of the people that have had to flee ISIS want, David? The same as I just said, I bet you. They want to go home. Of course they do. We, we, and, and when I say we, I mean Canada. As a country, we sent out text. I reported on this on these airwaves. We sent out text messages to something like 60,000 people in refugee camps who had registered with the U.N. as refugees in places like Lebanon and Jordan and said, are you interested in coming to Canada? And very few responded. Do you they know why? They wanted to stay there because they'd be closer to home when they could go home. They wanted to go home. Now, the other thing, too, is I, I just lost my train of thought, but Kathleen Wynne disgusts me to no end. That woman has reached new lows, and she's only setting the bar for the next low she's going to reach. Oh, I can't. I I can't disagree with you. Thanks Thank for you, the Brian. call, David. Frank in Greeley, you're on Beyond the News. Ah, ah, let me fix these phone lines. Hold on, Frank, are That's you there? A heck of a speech there. No, it's all right. Like uh, the, the way you say, like you don't want to let other uh, Muslims in the uh, country, but like Canada, like uh, they already have immigrants coming in. I, I, I didn't say don't let people. I didn't say don't let Muslims in. I no, or, I said I like agree with the idea. Hold on, let's be yeah. clear. Yeah. I said I agree with the idea of 
let's not bring in people from areas that are known to be problematic in terms of terrorism, in terms of worldviews and so on. Well, you remember, uh, Brian, uh, happened in Parliament Hill. You see, that was uh, one uh, incident and uh, so on and so on with these guys. These guys are born in our countries, you see. And uh, they keep bringing people in. So Brian Trump, or I mean Donald Trump, has a good idea. Yeah, well, d- don't don't combine me with Donald just yet. Okay. I, I I have better hair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Always remember that I have better hair, Frank. Uh, but I mean, uh, you know, he's got a good idea. Not uh, you know allow uh, this kind of mess to happen. Well, I I what happened at uh, gay clubs? That's another situation. I I just don't know yeah. why people are freaking out about him. Th- Frank, thanks for the call. All right, let's play that clip about Trump being intimidated one more time before we go, because people are freaking out about what Trump had to say and claiming he's bigoted. Let me play this for you one more time. Tell me where the bigotry is. I refuse to allow America to become a place where gay people, Christian people, Jewish people are targets of persecution and intimidation by radical Islamic preachers of hate and violence. Can you argue with that? If you can, it's too late to call, but you can email me beyond the news at CFRA.com. Tell me why Donald Trump's a hate monger for saying those sorts of things. Tell me why he's a hate monger for saying, let's not bring in people from countries that are problematic. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. That wraps the show for tonight. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, by email, any way you can. Share the stories from the rebel.media in the same way. And thanks for listening. As always, remember, I'm on your side.